Welcome to the Bioethics Podcast, a project of the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity. I'm Ben Mitchell, Director of the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity. In this edition of the Bioethics Podcast, we bring you an entry from a series of papers presented at our recent conference, Bioethics Nexus, the Future of Healthcare, Science, and Humanity. A popular paper theme at the conference explored the issues surrounding transhumanism. In this paper, Eric Spaulding, a business intelligence consultant for an information technology firm in Chicago, presents his essay, Dominion, Providence, and Art, the Integral Role of Aesthetics in the Next Phase of Christian Bioethics. In this paper, Mr. Spaulding discusses the shift in bioethics from issues of the giving and taking of human life toward the reshaping of humanity. He proposes that the development of aesthetic thought is a necessary step in forming an ethics of biotechnology and human creativity in order to grapple with the perplexing issues presented by the possibilities of fashioning our bodies or the bodies of our children through biomedicine to suit our aesthetic tastes. First, though, please mark your calendars today for our first annual Phoenix Conference. The focus of the conference will be the ethics of aging, death, and immortality. Confirmed speakers include S.J. Olshansky, Ph.D., University of Illinois at Chicago, John Keown, D. Phil, Georgetown University, Hava Samuelson, Ph.D., Arizona State University, C. Christopher Hook, M.D., Mayo Clinic. Highlights will include a debate between J. Olshansky and Aubrey de Grey, a biomedical gerontologist. More details will be forthcoming, but plan on joining us March 3rd through 8th, 2008. Academic and continuing education opportunities will be available. Uh, this is still a work in progress, what I hope to be uh, the first of many papers on pretty much the new area of bioaesthetics, which would explore the intersection of aesthetic work and bio, biosphere, biology, especially human biology. And uh, I appreciate any feedback that you have on that as well. So, get started here. The role of the healthcare professional within society, his or her relationship with the patient, and the extent to which medicine may be used to heal or kill have been the common themes of bioethics since the field itself came to be. These are the questions of classical bioethical theory, which are typically guided by the principles established by the Belmont Report and addressed to lesser and greater degrees clinical practices such as abortion, euthanasia, patient autonomy, medical experimentation, and even certain issues within the fields of stem cell research and gene therapy. Since the end of the 20th century, though, a confluence of biotechnological advances, including Dolly the clone sheet, and the completion of the Human Genome Project has presented us with an entirely new array of bioethical questions. It is no longer sufficient to address only the sanctity of human life, since many of these forthcoming technologies do not directly threaten life or autonomy, but instead give novel opportunities to transform it. This issue becomes particularly thorny when patients freely choose to alter or enhance certain characteristics of their bodies for non-therapeutic reasons, or when they are willing to redesign their children through life-altering biotechnology for purposes that amount to nothing more than personal taste. Such developments stretch classical bioethics to the breaking point. Is it possible to challenge the free choices of individuals to undergo elective surgery for what they consider to be physical, to be physical blemishes? 
May we redesign the genomes of our fellow humans, even when they cannot consent at the time, at that time for such alterations? To what extent are Christians permitted to exercise control over the creation as artists or inventors? Questions such as these cannot be answered sufficiently through a bioethical framework focused on autonomy, beneficence, or even justice. Uh, what I will strive to demonstrate in this paper is that this next phase of biotechnology challenges us to participate in both ethical and aesthetic reflection. When I speak of aesthetics, I'm referring to the appreciation of art and beauty, both in philosophical terms and as an aspect of our experience in the world. When developed as part of the theology of human activity and dignity, we may come to understand technologies role better through the creation of artistic and beautiful things that clarify our role as being made in our creator's image. I will argue that Christian bioethicists should begin reflecting on the nature and limits of human creativity and in turn share their insights with others in imaginative ways. This can encourage communal reflection on the biblical basis for our creativity and the need for constraints on our activities, especially with the fruits of modern science. Furthermore, the arts, including film, literature, and visual media, provide a unique form for engaging Christians and non-Christians alike with the reality of human dignity and help us wrestle with our task of exercising dominion over God's creation. This next section is entitled New Issues in Old Bioethical Wineskins. First, as we explore the connections between bioethics and aesthetics, it is important to set the stage for this inquiry. Not too long ago, individuals lived and worked primarily within a system of communal beliefs and social expectations given to them through institutions such as family traditions, church doctrine, and civic responsibilities. However, bioethicist Carl Elliott finds that citizens in contemporary industrialized nations, particularly America, are increasingly individualistic, holding to few standards that are external to themselves. Within this plurality of ideas and identities, Elliot sees that self-fulfillment has become the focus of our culture. Many view their lives now chiefly as a project to be optimized from among the innumerable choices and consumables available to them. Recent developments in biomedicine now offer the ability to upgrade our bodies as well. Christine Rosen speaks candidly of the medicalization of the modern person through which artificial means such as plastic surgery and psychotropic drugs have become a, quote, medical response to modern notions of beauty and perfectibility, unquote. Elliot sees this as indicative of a wider agenda of self-aggrandizement in culture. Quote from him, we are compelled to pursue enhancement technologies not in order to get ahead of others, but to make sure that we have lived our lives to the fullest. The next generation of biotechnology promises to afford still greater control over both the biosphere and the human body. Futurist Greg Kurzweil predicts that we will soon have regenerative medicine through stem cell technology, the ability to choose our genetic and psychological dispositions through advanced bioengineering, and bodies constantly being improved upon by swarms of nanorobots that will swim through our bloodstreams. Transhumanists like Kurzweil represent the outer edge of this optimism for forthcoming biotechnologies. They anticipate that these developments will result in a new burgeoning market of medical applications fueled by personal taste and a desire for self-fulfillment. In the words of the transhumanist artist Natasha Vita Moore, quote, our aesthetics and expressions are merging with science and technology, unquote, which in turn gives shape to human evolution. Transhumanists will accomplish these goals by turning their own bodies into our objects through technology, a process Vita Moore calls automorphing or self-sculpting. 
The World Transhumanist Association's director, James Hughes, believes strongly in this desire to recreate our bodies for aesthetic reasons, and he predicts that radical alterations to our species will begin in this century as citizens of modernized nations refashion themselves and their offspring through genetic engineering, cybernetics, and pharmacology. Bioethicist Nigel Cameron characterizes such possibilities, and this is a very important quote, as the dilemma of the 21st century in which created human beings confront the new powers of technology over our own selves. The meeting point of the Dominion Mandate in Genesis 1 and the Imago Dei. Unfortunately, Cameron finds that Christians in general and evangelicals in particular are not prepared to address the issues raised in this decisive time. Furthermore, the fracturing of society that results from an overemphasis upon individual expression discourages a unified system of ethics for addressing these issues. This is complicated by the fact that existing bioethical principles cannot sufficiently resolve the dilemmas raised when competent individuals act autonomously to achieve transformations that they consider beneficial to their social standing or personal happiness. What response can bioethics offer conundrums such as these? We will next consider several proposals from both secular and religious perspectives. Contemporary ethicists, media theorists, and theologians have all suggested new approaches to grappling with the increasingly complex intersection of aesthetics and ethics in the arena of human enhancement. Anna Munster, an art educator at the University of New South Wales, concludes, perhaps hastily, that the possibility of creating transgenic life and non-human intelligences with human capabilities undermines morality from a distinctly human point of view. She proposes that the, quote, contemporary invocation of the biological and the technical requires a reformation within bioethics to embrace radical ethology, which she characterizes as interested in relations and interactions rather than innate properties, unquote, and denies humanity any moral value distinct from other living creatures. Here, the inherent creativity seen in biotechnical activity is conjoined with a thoroughly naturalistic and pluralistic worldview to undermine humanistic and principle-based ethics entirely. Munster suggests that the next phase of bioethics should be concerned with nurturing the so-called bioarts, through which we will grasp the shape of new and new human and non-human species that contribute to our respect for all life on this planet. Among Christian scholars, Brent Waters, who we heard from this morning, notes several technologically cognizant postmodern theologians who have come to the forefront of answering the question of technology. Uh, Gordon Kaufman, Arthur Peacock, Philip Hefner, and Pierre Teilhard de Chardin are all examples of this group, which has positioned creativity as the essential nature of God, in air quotes, in whose likeness we exist as co-creators. Thus, human imagination and ingenuity, seen most clearly in our technology, are the primary means in in which humans connect with and participate with the divine. Waters criticizes this view because it sets aside the centrality of Jesus Christ's redemptive work in favor of pursuing the utopian agenda closely aligned with transhumanists. To their credit, these postmodern theologians aim to fill a significant gap in the moral vision and theological understanding of the church. Uh, A quote from Philip Hefner, if technology is the medium for new selves and new identities to emerge, and we cannot imagine that religion takes shape in technology, then we have eliminated the religious or depth dimension of the most significant developments in human becoming, unquote. 
However, instead of following Hefner and embracing transhumanist theology, Waters suggests that Christianity must develop a new teleology for biotechnical creativity that is constrained by the revealed will of God. In the remainder of this paper, I will endeavor to show how aesthetics is pivotal to the formation of this teleology and therefore an integral aspect of a Christian bioethics that seeks to sow a message of redemption to a world looking increasingly to biotechnology for self-fulfillment. Title of this section, Reclaiming a Place for Aesthetics in Christian Theology and Anthropology. Aesthetics is a complementary field to ethics in that both are aspects of value theory and make normative claims about reality. In the same way that ethical theory seeks to inquire into the nature of the good and the rightfulness or wrongfulness of human actions, aesthetics explores questions about beauty, imagination, and creativity in the world, as well as the communicative potential and truthfulness of art. Philosopher and educator Nicholas Wolterstorff contends that these questions are essential to the human experience. A quote from Wolterstorff, Art, so often thought of our way of getting out of the world, is man's way of acting in the world. Unquote. I will trace the biblical foundation for aesthetics in Christian theology and anthropology in this section, and then show how art and aesthetics can indeed inform bioethics and motivate the church to action. Any Christian account of humanity's place in the world begins in the first three chapters of Genesis. God is depicted as speaking into existence, the heavens and the earth, giving man and woman a unique status among the living creatures, and settling them in a place of abundance where they have fellowship with him. Leland Bracken, an English professor at Wheaton College, contends that the poetic nature of the creation story conveys special meaning, demonstrating that, quote, the Bible does not distrust the imagination and artistic form as a means of expressing the truth, unquote. From the first book to the last, parables, poetry, and creatively told histories declare the kingdom of God through artistic language. That humans were created in the image of God is also noteworthy. James Spiegel, professor of philosophy at Taylor University, proposes that as a work of art invariably says something of its creator, we reflect God's nature in myriad ways, including our, quote, abilities to reason, will, perceive, love, and emote, and in the capacity to create and do so with intentionality, unquote. The third chapter of Genesis, though, tells of humanity's failure to uphold God's moral standards. However, the account of the fall also opens the way for redemption. Banished from Eden and the tree of eternal life, Eve is assured that her offspring will crush the serpent's head, a prophecy which was fulfilled in the life of Christ. Nicholas Wolterstorff writes that the task of the church is to be a witness to this message of redemption, and, quote, to give evidence of the new life, the true, authentic life, while urging all to repent and believe and join this people of God, unquote. Jesus Christ exemplified one form of this witness through his teaching, which Spiegel notes consisted primarily of artfully crafted narratives to show the believer's spiritual and moral truths without explicitly stating codes of conduct. In fact, he finds that on balance, quote, comparatively little of the Bible's material is strictly didactic, but rather God himself chose an artistic medium, literature, as his primary vehicle of special revelation, unquote. Unfortunately, Christians have widely failed to keep this biblical motif alive in their faith. Spiegel observes, this is a choice quote from him, if one virtue of Christ is ignored more than any other, it is creativity. That the American church has managed to make the gospel boring and predictable to the rest of our culture is a sad testament to this lack of recognition. End of quote. 
if artistic creativity was vital to Christ's ministry and the biblical canon as a whole, then it seems fitting to recover why it is so important and how we can benefit the many spheres of human activity, especially our ethics. As we scan the constellation of options for the future of humanity and human technologies, a number of concepts can help to inform our decisions. First, it is important to remember that we always have a choice, at least initially, in the technologies that we embrace as a society. Rebuffing technological determinism, Catherine Hales writes, quote, technologies do not develop on their own. People develop them, and people are sensitive to cultural beliefs about what they can and should mean, unquote. Through education, Hales suggests, it is possible to shape the views of our society and its future course of progress. Art objects, notably creation narratives, mythology, and science fiction contribute to this education. The impoverished state of evangelical aesthetics is therefore deeply concerning. Since the arts are a centerpiece of communal life, as well as an avenue by which to offer a compelling witness to others, in this section I will propose how aesthetics can also be an important part of Christian bioethics. If it is true, as M. Therese Lysop has argued, that technologies change us even as we shape our world with them, Christians must critically assess our options to ensure that we pattern their use after the moral realities visible in God's creation and revealed through Scripture. Philosopher Albert Borgen suggests that aesthetics can serve as a focal point for Christian community and help to inform the ethics of the church in charging its course through technology. James Childress concludes that assessing new developments in biomedicine must therefore cross many disciplines, forecasting the consequences of new technologies while also drawing on theological insights to judge their moral efficacy. Aesthetics offers several unique approaches for evaluating the ethics of new biotechnologies and techniques for human enhancement. First, Carol Gigliotti notes the importance of the moral imagination, which we have heard frequently mentioned this weekend, uh, by which we work out the consequences of a particular course of action while constantly considering the responsibilities of that imaginative work. And quote from Gigliotti. In assessing a new technology, we can compose narratives of probable future states and side effects that will arise from its widespread use and reflect on what such developments reveal about ourselves in the process. You might note Christina Bieber Lake's analysis of Hawthorne's uh, The Birthmark yesterday, which was excellent. Imaginative art can also help to counter the egocentric predicament which James Spiegel explains as the, quote, natural human condition of being immediately aware only of one's own thoughts and feelings, which naturally incline me to put myself first, end quote. Broadly speaking, the arts allow a person to see the world from another's perspective. Thoughtfully crafted stories are particularly valuable to appreciating the impacts that our technologies may have on others and on future generations. One excellent example of this is the science fiction film Gattaca, which is told through the eyes of a natural-born man trying desperately to hide his identity in a future society prejudiced to favor those genetically engineered for superior performance. Through, gaining imagining, or through imagining ourselves into the future and anticipating how society may be shaped by our decisions, the arts provide a powerful vehicle to explore these outcomes and, more importantly, help us to understand what it means to be human. We may certainly strive to make a better world for our children and ourselves using the modes of knowledge afforded by science and technology, but it is only in understanding what it means to be a member of the human race that we can adequately define, envision, and choose among possible futures for our species. 
For Christians, then, appreciation for the arts and the aesthetic qualities of God's created order is crucial for encouraging the formation of communities that are prepared to grapple with the technologies appearing at unprecedented speeds during this time in human history. Creative art offers a powerful medium that is not only challenging for an audience, but also uniquely engaging. Quote, a good metaphor or symbol forces a person to do some work, James Spiegel writes. It inspires an audience to deeper inquiry, unquote. Aesthetically excellent works and the appreciation of natural beauty are therefore helpful in sharing our experiences and values with others. Furthermore, while we may be unable to persuade non-Christians through formal debate about the theological basis for human dignity and the inestimable, inestimable worth of God's image in us, the arts open up the possibility of creatively presenting this perspective. It is important to note, though, that we ought not to treat art as a mere means to some polemical or evangelistic end. Francis Schaeffer comments, too often we think that a work of art has value only if we reduce it to attract. This is to view art solely as a message for the intellect, unquote. James Spiegels agrees, adding that, quote, the ironic result is that prioritizing the evangelistic purpose of art compromises the artist's ability to connect with persons outside the Christian community, unquote. In the same way that Jesus' parables respected the mystery of godliness while helping to partially unveil it, Spiegel believes that Christians must be aware that their art can and will communicate truth, but that it should not be employed solely for that purpose. The final section is Dominion and Art in the Midst of Providence. According to Brent Waters, we are intrinsically unable to, in his words, transcend the temporal and necessary constraints of finitude, as it is only the eternal God that creates and frames and redeems these limitations. End quote. Yet our destiny is to participate in the redemption of the world with Christ, and accordingly we must discern substantive moral guides for our choices. As shown above, the arts play a crucial role in the instruction of the moral imagination, and Waters acknowledges the value for gaining moral insight. However, he also posits two caveats in light of the theological considerations we just discussed. First, we encounter moral truth and should not creatively reinterpret it through overactive imagining. In addition, Christian bioethics should not be primarily consequentialist in their approach and therefore limit their ethics to real or imagined outcomes. Rather, Waters states that our task is to, quote, align moral judgments and choices with what we may call providential patterns within the temporal unfolding of creation. Hence, comment there. Uh, therefore, discovering this moral vision and appreciating the grandeur of God's design transforms human imagination into a descriptive rather than prescriptive faculty for Christian ethics. Waters proposes that the acceptable place for human technology is in exercising a limited dominion over the creation, acting by the freedom of the Holy Spirit's inspiration to work within our natural constraints instead of attempting to negate them. Both Munster's radical ethology and the postmodern theology of Peacock, Hefner, and others make humans the measure of all things. While the former seeks to deny us any special place in the creation, the latter view places a disproportionate emphasis on human actions as God's chosen means for redeeming the cosmos. In contrast, Waters stresses that the denial of any limits to our species also closes off our hope for redemption. Clearly, God gave humans the creative and rational faculties to innovate, 
However, at the same time, we are constrained by human finitude and fallibility, which, through both practical and moral shortcomings, often fail to uphold God's law or provide for the well-being of the next generation. As I have argued above, the arts can help to inform our ethical course, giving opportunity to imagine the outcomes of forthcoming technologies and to discern whether they conform to the pattern of God's moral design for the world. Art which celebrates and enlivens community can also shift cultural perceptions away from the transhumanist idea that our destiny is to find self-fulfillment through reforming ourselves with biotechnology. Instead, appreciating works of art and their uniquely relational qualities allows us to find fulfillment in the presence of others, whether in person or through the beauty represented in their work. Furthermore, aesthetics introduces novel possibilities for reflecting on the universality of human dignity, the design of the created order, and our interactivity within it. Through aesthetic self-transcendence, one may come to understand more fully the facets of the human experience as embodied agents working and relating in God's world. Noted bioethicists John F. Kilner and Leon R. Cass have offered theological and naturalistic arguments, respectively, for the moral reality of human dignity. This paper suggests that a more complete account of our worth is found in the complex beauty nascent in the unfolding of the genetically, mentally, and spiritually unique being that is recognized by the creator as his own reflected image. Finally, the arts offer a fruitful avenue by which to communicate the moral and spiritual realities revealed in the living world as well as God's living word to those who might not otherwise be exposed to them. Provided the Christian artists act morally and within a biblical worldview, they are free to create imaginative and challenging works that engage society in a transformational way. As creatures given over to morbidity and prone to fallibility, it is art, not science, that, trans that allows us to transcend a medicalized outlook on life and to appreciate the deeper need for redemption that can only be fulfilled through the supernatural work of Christ in our lives. To sum up, Certainly, biotechnologies have and will continue to offer amazing powers to promote physical healing and restoration. We must be careful to assess our options, however, and discern whether they provide genuine care for those suffering or serve to undermine God's moral standards for his creation. Though not a replacement for ethical principles, the arts offer a unique avenue by which to foster a biblical anthropology relevant to our social and historical contexts. The cultivation of a moral imagination not only benefits the ethical evaluation of technology, but also encourages Christians to better understand and pattern their lives after God's providential design for the world. Therein, we may wrestle with the appropriate uses for technology while still affirming our fidelity to God's plans and exercising patience with our own limitations. Yet we are not defeated in such finitude and isolation. We look with hope to the resurrection from the dead, quickened by Christ's promise that the arc of human history is fully within the ambit of God's love and redemption. That was the second of several papers on the topic of transhumanism presented at our 14th annual conference, Bioethics Nexus. The title of this paper was Dominion, Providence, and Art, the Integral Role of Aesthetics in the Next Phase of Christian Bioethics, delivered by Eric Spaulding. Eric Spaulding is a business intelligence consultant for an information technology firm in Chicago. Eric holds an MA in bioethics from Trinity International University and wrote his master's thesis on aesthetics and transhumanism. The Bioethics Podcast is a project of the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity.
exploring the nexus of biomedicine, biotechnology, and our common humanity. Our website, cbhd.org, has a wealth of materials on a wide range of bioethical issues. For more information about the Center and to support the work of the Center and projects like this podcast, please visit our website, cbhd.org. My name is Ben Mitchell, and I'm director of the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity. Thank you for listening to the Bioethics Podcast.